Hello, and welcome to episode 69 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week we will be covering the state of California for our true crime and paranormal stories. I have the true crime story this week, and Mom has the paranormal. And I bet you all can guess what beverage she chose with (laughs) California. I'm sorry. I'm not original on this because I love my Corbell and any excuse I have to drink it, I will use that excuse. So we are going to, well, I, I guess I'm going to be solo drinking my Corbell. (laughs) We made Alex drink by himself. One of these days, I'm sure I'll be drinking Uh, by myself. Well, you know, I'm really not complaining. (laughs) (laughs) Like This stuff goes down like water, unfortunately. Yeah, so we're doing Corbell from California, and it is actually one of the uh, wineries that make sparkling wines that can call their sparkling wine champagne. What's the difference between sparkling wine and champagne? Not really too much. The only difference is there's a champagne region in France, and only that region can call their sparkling champagne. So it's basically the same thing as sparkling but it's the name, Champagne. So when you order champagne at a restaurant or something, you're kind of really ordering sparkling wine. Do you get what I mean? It's just the name. It's a, na- it's a name brand. <laughs> but Corbell can actually use champagne. So I am drinking champagne. <laughs> just saying. Oh, boy. <laughs> so personally, I but like But really, the... you could be saying you're drinking sparkling, but you're actually I drinking could. champagne. Okay. It's just I am drinking sparkling. It's just a (laughs) circle of sparkling champagne. It doesn't matter. It's all delicious. Anyway, so (laughs) I really like the dry, not the sweet. Same. So I am sampling, (laughs) sampling this uh, brute. So it is a dry from Corbell. What else can I say? It's delicious. It's very fruit forward. And it's just really, really easy to drink. So, okay. I have a little treat for you since I'm drinking Corbell. I had to look up to see whether the Corbell winery was haunted since I have the paranormal. Ooh, so, since I can't drink, you're going to treat me to a little haunted story to begin the episode? Yes. Yeah, so I did not do my paranormal on the Corbell winery, but I do have a little tidbits about it. Since the Corbell Champagne Cellars in Grinville, California were founded in 1882 by the Corbell brothers. It does hold a lot of history. The winery itself looks a little spooky. Don't take my word for it. The house served as the inspiration for the horror movie Altergeist. Are you familiar with that? Poltergeist? Altergeist. Altergeist? Mm-hmm. No. A-L-T-E-R-G-E-I-S-T. It was released in 2014. And filmed on location at the house. Looks in this case are not deceiving. The place is said to be home of quite a few ghosts. There is a ghost of the cook who killed himself in the attic of the Santanella house, which sits on the property. There is also the apparition of a woman dressed in... White! No, black. Okay. (laughs) An elderly man wearing a coat and a top hat and another ghostly man who is said to hang out on the balcony and ring the doorbell. (laughs) I love those kinds of ghosts. 
And just for you, my darling. No. There's also a ghost cat. <laughs> course there is that allegedly leaves paw prints on sheets and carpets how rude <laughs> there are reports of orbs of light and shadow figures in the vineyards lights are seen flickering off and on in sections of the winery that doesn't have electricity oh <laughs> i knew i liked this champagne a lot it even <laughs> has a history to it now <laughs> And that's probably where you'll be haunting when you die. <laughs> <laughs> Corbell, it's, it's residual. <laughs> the lights dancing in the vineyard is mom. Sparkling champagne. Sparkling champagne. <laughs> if you see fairy dust, that's me. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well. I am not snoring. If you hear snoring, it is Annabelle. She had all of her vaccines today and all of her shots and all that yuckiness. So I can't even bring myself to wake her up. She is right near her mommy's. Okay, so happy thoughts of mom dancing in a vineyard of sparkling (laughs) champagne. Move those out of your mind. I have a true crime story for you. And this one, very much like mom's last week might get you a little heated. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, I'm going to jump right into it. It all begins on July 11th, 2011. Police are called out to a mansion on Ocean Avenue in Coronado, California, because a six-year-old boy lay unresponsive on the foyer entryway floor. When police arrive, they find the boy on the floor with a scooter and a shattered chandelier all over the floor. A woman, the boy's father's girlfriend, Rebecca Zahau, had been the one to find the boy and had instantly tried to resuscitate him with CPR before the emergency vehicle had arrived. But she knew just about as much as the police did from the scene. She really didn't have any facts or details to give them. Rebecca had been in the first floor half bathroom of the mansion. Max, the six-year-old boy, was playing, and Rebecca's little sister, who was visiting for a couple weeks for the summer, was upstairs taking a shower. Rebecca had heard an awful crash in the foyer and came running out to discover Max on the floor. So that was the details that she gave the police. Uh Max's father, her boyfriend, was at the gym when it all happened and was just getting back as they were loading Max into the ambulance. Now, Max's father was Jonah Shacknai. He called his ex-wife, Max's mother, Dina, to tell her what happened and meet him at Randy Children's Hospital. Rebecca is questioned. I mean, she was the adult in the house when the incident occurred. Mm -hmm. And the only thing she could tell them is that as she was giving him CPR, he said one word that she was barely able to make out. But he whispered, Ocean. Ocean. Which was the name of the family's dog. Oh, okay. Now, let's chat a little bit about the characters in this case so far. We have Jonah Shacknai. He's the father of... Mm -hmm. And he is a multimillionaire, if not a billionaire. He is the founder of Medics Pharmaceutical, a cosmetic pharmaceutical company. Apparently, they make and sell this alternative to Botox kind of a thing. Okay. That's like their main, that's like what they're known for in the area. Now, his company and where he mainly lives is in Phoenix, Arizona. The Spreckles Mansion, where the boy was found in Coronado, was his summer home more than anything. Okay. But it's a mansion. Don't get me wrong. 
It's huge. Now, he and his ex-wife, Dina, had separated about two years prior. It was a pretty dirty divorce, but over time, the two kind of smoothed things over to make it work for the joint custody they shared over Max. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Max was six, and from all accounts I read, he and Jonah's girlfriend of the last two years, Rebecca, had a very close relationship. From the day they met, they clicked. Max loved Rebecca, and Rebecca loved Max. Now a little bit about Rebecca. She was originally from Burma. The country is now renamed Myanmar. Okay. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. I apologize. But she was born to a pretty poor family. She had three siblings, and because of her father's job in politics, they moved around a lot. In India, to Nepal. Eventually, they moved to the United States when she was in her 20s. Her family settled in Missouri, and Rebecca, wanting to do something medical, got hired in an ophthalmology clinic. Okay. Work, she worked really hard to get, her cer- to get certified, and she became a tech. She then moved to Phoenix. She loved her job. She worked really hard at her job. I mean, imagine the things that she saw growing up and constantly moving around and living in these poor areas. And now she's providing for herself and able to do so. And even though she lived far away from her family, she was really, really close with her family. And every paycheck, she would actually write a check to send to her parents to help them out as well. Wow. In October 2009, she met Jonah Shacknai at his eye appointment. And even though there was a 20-year age difference, the two hit it off and started dating. And you know, the money never seemed to be a thing to her. When she would call her family and tell her family that she started dating somebody, she didn't even mention that he was wealthy. That he was wealthy. She, wow. That just really didn't, it didn't seem to really mean anything to her. She just was honestly in love and very happy. After a few months of dating, things intensify between the two, and Jonah wants her to meet his children. He had two older children from another previous marriage, as well as Max, from his most recent marriage to Dina. And like I said, there was an instant bond between Max and Rebecca. Mm -hmm. In 2011, Jonah asks Rebecca to quit her job and come spend the summer with him in Coronado, California. She's worried about supporting her family the way she had been, and Jonah promises he will continue to pay the check. He will continue to write her family the checks. He just really wants her to come out and, you know, be with him. Yeah. So she moves in with him into this huge mansion on the coast of California. Now, fast forward to the tragic accident with Max, July 11th. Rebecca is feeling all kinds of feelings and all eyes are on her. I'm sure she's riddled with guilt that Max is now in the hospital. He's on ventilators and in an induced coma because of all the injuries. Oh, poor baby. With the accident happening under her watch. So I'm sure she's just, ugh, feels terrible. Can I ask real fast, how old is her sister that was in the shower? Uh, Like a teenager. Okay, just curious. She's also worried that Max, in general, that he's going to be okay. But she's probably also worried for herself a little bit and how Jonah's going to react to all of this. Is he going to blame her? She doesn't have a job anymore. She's totally moved out there. She has no income, nowhere to live. She's totally reliant on Jonah. So now she's like, you know, she's also concerned about what's going to happen to me. You can't blame her. So Dina and Jonah sit by their son's bedside at the children's hospital. Rebecca is left at the mansion, and she decides that it's best that her little sister returns home to Missouri with everything going on. Sure. So 
she takes her sister to the airport and arranges it that when she drops her sister off, she picks Jonah's brother, Adam, up. So Adam is another character in this case, where Jonah is this millionaire businessman. Adam is a little different. (laughs) He lives in Memphis, Tennessee, and works as a tugboat captain. Okay. (laughs) You need tugboats, Beth. (laughs) They pull big boats. I'm sorry, but that just... That's like something Aiden would... I want to be a tugboat captain. That just seems like something a toddler would... I'm sorry. Anyway. (laughs) That's not very nice. (laughs) Well, we don't like Adam. So Rebecca picks Adam up from the airport and right away they go to the hospital. They all grab a quick bite to eat. I'm sure they're catching up some, but it was also a very solemn dinner with what has happened. Of course. Then Rebecca and Adam head back to the mansion. Adam was tired after his travels, so he heads out to the guest house. And Rebecca heads up to her room and calls her sister, Mary. This is another sister. This was not the sister visiting. This is, I believe, was her older sister. She chats with her sister about her worries, her sadness, her worry about Max, her worry about herself. I mean, just chatting with her sister. It's around 8 p.m. and she tells her sister that she's exhausted, so she wants to shower and get ready for bed. She wants to get up in the morning around 5 a.m. to get to the hospital for 6 to bring Jonah his change of clothes and breakfast. And she asks that Mary tells their mother that she will call her on the way to the hospital. Around 12.30, Jonah calls Rebecca's cell. And she doesn't answer. I mean, I'd probably be asleep too. If I say I'm going to bed, I'm going to bed. I'm not going to answer the phone. I, I just sleep right through it. But he calls at 12.30 and he leaves a grief-stricken voicemail. The doctor had just met with them and shared that things for Max were not looking very good. And even in the best case scenario, if Max woke up, he would most likely not be able to speak or walk again. Oh, goodness. At 630 the next morning, so the morning of July 13th, another call is made. But this call is made from Adam to 911. They ask, what's your emergency? And he exclaims, quote, I got a girl, hung herself, unquote. The call is odd. He's breathy. And during the entire call, he's just breathing really heavy. And you even hear him shouting like, are you alive? Are you alive? He never mentions Rebecca's name, never calls her by name. He just says, a girl here. Now, Adam claims that he had found her hanging from the second story balcony out in the backyard. Mm -hmm. And in later statements, he claims that when he found her, He ran inside and found a knife and a small table to stand on to cut her down. And then he gave her mouth to mouth. And when police arrive, they find Rebecca Zahau on the ground, naked. Now, that in itself is really odd to me that a woman would commit suicide naked. Naked. And later on, a forensic expert claimed in his 56 years of forensic pathology and in over 20,000 autopsies. Holy moly. Yeah. A female who committed suicide was never found nude. Wow. But it gets even more odd. She was naked. Her feet were dirty. She had black paint on her breasts. And she had a little bit of blood found on her inner thigh. It was her time Uh. of the month. And I mentioned that because this comes into play later. Okay. But what's strange is that her hands were tied in these intricate knots behind her back. How did in the world did she hang herself? Her ankles were bound. What? There was a rope around her neck. Yes. But there was a blue t-shirt 
around her neck that had previously been used as a gag. So it had been around her neck and stuffed in her mouth. Adam does say in his statement that he removed the shirt from out of her mouth to give her CPR. Adam being the only one on the property at the time of the incident was, of course, questioned. He had woken up that morning, gotten dressed, and couldn't find coffee in the guest house. So he was walking over to the main house for coffee when he sees her hanging from the small second-story balcony. After about three hours of being there, the Coronado PD has taken photos Mm -hmm. and started the investigation, but they see that this is much bigger than what they can handle. So they call the San Diego Sheriff's full homicide investigative team. The lead detective, Angela Suida, arrives on the scene by 9.30 a.m. This is just a side note here, but during this entire investigation, all day, Rebecca Zahau lay naked and bound in the backyard. Helicopters were flying over, taking a video for the news, and it showed all of this. They didn't even cover cover her her? with a sheet. Oh, no. Just the way that Rebecca is found bound the way she was was a cause of suspicion for Sweeta. She and her team discover the red rope that was used in the quote-unquote suicide and it was found in the garage. So the rope that Rebecca had used was cut from this huge thing of rope that they found in the garage. It was like red boating rope. Okay. Now it's interesting because the quote-unquote suicide and I'm gonna say quote-unquote because mom I just don't know but the death occurred from the guest room balcony now this is a huge mansion like I said like Mm -hmm. I said it's not a shed (sighs) not a shed (laughs) like I said it's a mansion (laughs) my question is why in the guest room that wasn't her room her oh. room was all the way across the house in Jonah's room, the master bedroom. This is like a 23-room mansion. There are lots of places, and I don't mean to sound so nonchalant about suicide, but there are tons of places in this huge mansion that she could have hung herself. Why this guest room on the other side of the house, out the back, off a tiny balcony? There was many balconies. Like, it just, I just found that very odd. odd. Were her hands tied in front of her or behind her? Behind her. Does it make sense? Mm -mm. While the team is dusting for fingerprints, which they only find Rebecca's in the room, they find a cryptic message painted in black acrylic paint on the guest room door. It says, she saved him. Can you save her? Now, if that's a suicide note, I... Yeah. That's weird, right? Like... Yeah. With how close she was to her family, there's no real note. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so cryptic. This poor girl did not kill herself. On the floor of the guest room is the black paint used, which was the same paint discovered on her breath. Okay. There were two paintbrushes. There was also two knives. A chef knife with traces of blood on the handle, but no fingerprints. And a steak knife with fingerprints on the blade area. Were they hers? Yes. Her fingerprints were the only DNA found in that room. Well, how did that other knife get up to that room without any fingerprints? Somebody wiped it off. Okay, keep going. There was also spots of blood, a bath towel, and Rebecca's cell phone on the floor. Now, like I mentioned before, Adam was the only person on that property. Mm -hmm. So he was brought to the station for questioning. Now, the interrogation tapes 
are weird. He's like hopping around, kind of kind of like Aiden on the podcast. Like he cannot <laughs> sit still in his okay. seat. But he's being really cooperative. Like he's not being rude by any means. And I I don't mm-hmm. know how I would act in that situation if I were innocent or guilty. I, even innocent, I don't know how I'd react in such a tense situation. Right, right. I might be hopping mm-hmm. in my seat too. He know he didn't hire any counsel, no lawyers, nothing. He was just cooperating with the investigation, and he agreed right away to do a polygraph test, which he neither passed nor failed. Oh, that's so, one of those. Mm-hmm, yeah. It was totally, totally inconclusive. But one thing that was weird was that during his polygraph, so they're in the middle of his polygraph, all of a sudden. He tells the lady giving the polygraph examination, he volunteers the information that that morning before he went in search of his coffee, so before he went to go get coffee, Mm -hmm. before he found Rebecca, he was pleasuring himself to porn. (laughs) I mean, just so freaking random. So she didn't ask him. He just No, there's nothing to do with anything. It was just, you know... Are you here for visiting because, you know, your brother's son? Are you staying in the guest house? Are you a tugboat captain? Oh, I just want to let you know, I watched porn. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) anyway, some of my sources even claim that it had been bondage porn. Oh, boy. Anyway. It's just weird, like I said, that they're questioning about his brother's girlfriend's death. And he's like, oh, yeah. I watched porn that morning. I forgot to tell you. (laughs) (sighs) Police have nothing to hold him on. No evidence. So they let him go. And he heads back to Memphis to his tugboats. And the Zahau family, seeing the news footage I mentioned before, with Rebecca lying there, bound and naked, for everybody to see. That just makes me so angry. Yeah. Right away, Mom, they're like, this was not a suicide. My Rebecca... My sister would, why would she ever want her family to see her in that way? She's obviously going to be found after committing suicide. She would never have wanted to be nude for her mom and her dad to see and her siblings. I just thought of something. I'm sorry. Tugboat captain. He ties, (gasps) ties knots. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. That just just popped in my head. (laughs) Well, it popped in a lot of people's heads and that will come into play in a little bit. Okay. Sorry. No, you're fine. That was very exciting. You knocked the phone down. (laughs) (laughs) Three days after Rebecca's death, little Max is confirmed brain dead. The next day, July 18th, police hold a press conference stating that both deaths are being looked into. So now you have the Zahau family claiming this is not a suicide. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, you have Dina Max's mother claiming that it was a suicide because Rebecca was so guilt-ridden about Max Mm -hmm. that this was not an accident and that she even started to claim that Max's death was a homicide. So you have all of this out there. Yeah, but she's she wants to blame somebody. Exactly, exactly. You know, this happened at her ex's house. She wasn't there. It probably none Mm -hmm. of it makes any sense to her. I mean, right? She's. I can't even imagine. I'm cutting her slack on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So they're investigating both deaths very briefly. I'll cover Max's investigation, not because he means less, but this story is about Rebecca. And from the evidence that was collected, there was there was white paint on the bottom of the scooter 
and chunks of the banister had been hit off. So it really did seem like it was a terrible accident. Oh, no. Later, Dina would hire others for another opinion, and they had claims that Max couldn't have been riding his scooter on the second floor because it was carpeted, and the banister was really high, so even if he would have hit the banister, he wouldn't have been thrown over the banister. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there are there, – it is an interesting case. I mean, heck, we could probably do another episode on it. It is really interesting, all the different evidence. But at the end of the day, with the evidence and the injuries, it was, in fact, I think, just a really tragic accident. Jeez. With no probable cause to think there was any foul play. He had suffered injuries to his upper spinal cord, which stopped his heart and lungs just long enough for brain damage, eventually leading to his death. And when it came to Rebecca's case, police announced, quote, We have to look past the unusual appearance of the death and focus on the facts and the evidence, unquote. The physical evidence and the autopsy. The cause of death was hanging. Manner of death was suicide. Her motive came from the voicemail from Jonah. The binds and gag were so she wouldn't stop herself from doing so. Uh-uh. They had reasons for all of it. Well, the Zahau family is not going to stand for this. Good. They know Rebecca. She would never have done this. Like, they're going to fight. So they hire a forensic expert, forensic pathologist, Dr. Cyril Wecht. And he, too, was in shock as to how she bound herself and got up on the railing to fling herself off. It doesn't make sense. He even made a statement like how this is not a Cirque du Soleil act. Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. No. He's the one who made note of females committing suicide in the nude being unheard of. Okay. I looked into this and I found, and from what I found, women are more commonly, like, no offense men, sorry, but we think ahead. And so when women are committing the suicide, they think ahead. How are people going to find me? You know, make sure I have everything in order before I do this. Wow. Majority of the time for women, that's what I found. And that's kind of what this Dr. Cyril said, too. So the Zahau family, they actually have Rebecca exhumed so that Dr. Wecht can perform another autopsy. Mm -hmm. And his findings are crazy. There's bleeding under the surface of the scalp. Police said she hit her head on the way down from the balcony. But there was no structure for her to hit her head. The marks were above her ears like a little higher above her ears on the side of her head, that would never Mm. have even hit an object. Oh. In her neck, there was no damage. It was all intact. The neck's structures that are damaged in a hanging were all intact. Oh, my gosh. The hyoid bone high up under the jaw Mm -hmm. showed injuries. Now, these injuries are mostly shown when someone is strangled. Yeah. Yeah. Not by hanging, but by strangulation. by hand. Right. He claimed that she did not die from suicide, that he believed she was strangled and it was staged to look as a suicide. And I'm just going to put my thoughts right here. Nobody saw Rebecca hanging, but Adam, supposedly. Yep. Oh, so we don't even know that she was hanging. No, because her body was down on the ground. So the the rope was tied. I'm going to go off my notes a little bit here, so I'm probably going to lose my place. Uh, But the rope was tied to the foot of the guest room bed so that it would give her you know 
So it had some weight to it. Now, mm-hmm. this is like an antique, and I'll probably cover a little bit this later, but I don't want to repeat myself, but it's like an antique kind of metal framed bed. She's roughly 100 pounds, and the bed only moved seven inches, hmm. a nine foot drop. Hmm. I am no mathematician. I know I sounded really cool in the Utah episode with all those meters and electromagnetic fields and everything. But (laughs) y'all, science is not my thing. But that does not add up to me. No, you'd think it would move more. If somebody is falling nine feet, throwing themselves off something nine feet, you'd think this bed would move more than seven inches. Right? Yeah. I'm still not over the wrist being tied in the back of her and her and her ankles being tied and she's climbing up on the rail of a balcony oh and a t-shirt is gagged in her mouth oh and by the way she's got an entire t-shirt in her mouth and oh by the way again sorry men if this makes you uncomfortable she's menstruating and she's gonna be nude during all of this no nope 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 Mm -mm. so they get all this evidence the family gets all this evidence and they go to san diego sheriff's department to reopen the case Their request is denied. (sighs) The family continues to fight. And I'll kind of do a quick blurb, but there was belief that Dina and her twin sister, Nina. Yes, Dina and Nina. I'm sorry. Don't name your twins rhyming names. That's so weird. (laughs) I'm so sorry. But Dina and Nina, there was like this idea that they actually had something to do with Rebecca's death along with Adam, either one or all of them. But after claiming this, and for a while, the family's attorney, Keith Greer, actually had to issue a statement of apology to Dina and Nina because hospital footage showed her to be at her son's hospital bed. Yeah, she wouldn't have But there was, there was thought that she had something to do with it. Or it but, but this still left Adam to go after. Oh, yeah. They had their evidence, and in March 2018, a trial was set. Now, this is a civil trial. Yeah, he because the case is still closed. I mean, the case yeah. is closed. Okay. He cannot go to prison. He cannot be charged for murder. He's basically just being sued um, for $10 million. But the family, their hope is that they put up enough of a case that eventually they will get the suicide cleared and really set the record straight they they really just want to get Rebecca's truth out there yeah Adam gets like all these big shot attorneys of course paid for by his his brother brother. Jonah which I find really weird because this was Jonah's girlfriend that he supposedly really loved because he wanted so there's a lot of conspiracy theories that even Jonah had something to do with her death he's this billionaire maybe he hired somebody Mm. And he felt guilty that his brother's getting charged with it. So he's going to pay for his attorneys. Mm. I don't know. So on the defense, you have this table filled with all of these hot shots and the little tugboat guy. And the other table, you have Greer and Rebecca's sister, Mary. Mm. But the evidence Greer pulls out is pretty great. I'm going to go over some of it with you. There was a witness, an elderly woman who lived a couple houses down. She claimed to hear a woman scream. For help coming from the mansion around 1130 that night. Oh, now this witness came forward and spoke to police about it. The day Rebecca's body was found. They did do anything with it. There is a video taken of her statement, but police basically wrote her off as being elderly, confused. 
you were watching TV. How would you have even heard anything going on outside two houses down? There was even a claim that there was some like teenagers outside that night and they didn't hear anything. And maybe this lady was just hearing the teenagers. But the lady was like, I specifically know what a woman screaming for help sounds like Mm -hmm. or like a teenager out there yelling and goofing around. But that 1130 timeline tied into the timeline that Greer and his team created for the murder to occur. They believed that like she told her sister, Rebecca went to take a shower. Mm -hmm. And that is when Adam attacked her, hitting her on the head, subduing her, taking her across the house to the guest room. Oh, yeah. And that was going to be like a staging area, tying her up. They even believe she was sexually assaulted and staged a suicide. Like I said, Adam is the only one that saw her hanging. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, was she even really was she hanging? Even right, right. Yeah. Other pieces of evidence they showed the jury were the two knives, both processed for fingerprints. The larger knife had the fingerprints on the blade, but on it at a, like a really odd angle. The crime scene expert they brought in, Lisa DeMeo, claimed that the fingerprints lined up as if Rebecca was holding the knife behind her back by like because it was a very large knife so if she were holding the knife behind her back the fingerprints on the blade lined up oh you mean like if her hands were tied behind her back and that he put the knife there to get her fingerprints on it (laughs) it's just weird that it was behind her back like that why was she holding tied or not why was she holding a knife behind her back fingerprints on the blade matched with her hand being behind her her back and the other knife had blood on the handle but no fingerprints yeah that doesn't make sense on the handle was it her blood did they do a did they do a dna test on the blood yes this is rebecca's blood yes this is rebecca's blood so like i said there's no fingerprints just blood on the end of the handle and this is kind of where the sexual assault kind of comes in but it's weird because the blood on the handle I'm sorry if this is TMI, but it almost just looks like somebody took it and almost just kind of smeared it in her menstrual blood. Like maybe it wasn't a sexual assault, but there's just it's just very odd. It was almost just like they wanted to create some evidence on that knife because she wasn't because it was just she was wiped on there. She wasn't stabbed at all. No, there were no wounds of any stabbings or anything like that. DeMeo, the crime scene expert, also called out the DNA and fingerprints tested in the guest room. Like I said, all the DNA and all the fingerprints in the guest room were all Rebecca's. But daily used items like the doorknob or even the door where the cryptic note was written, there was no fingerprints. fingerprints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been wiped down. And I even saw, too, that was really interesting was, so, you know, in police investigations, they take evidence photos, and then they also will draw a diagram Mm -hmm. to kind of say, like, what each thing is, and they draw it. So it's really interesting because the picture of the knives on the floor, I think there's Mm -hmm. also, like, a plastic bag and a piece of clothing on the floor, a towel on the floor as well. The picture shows the knives in a different location than the diagram shows. Mm -hmm. The diagram has the knives like swapped. And then there between the knives in the picture is a dryer sheet, which is not listed on the diagram at all. And it's not even listed on 
any evidence like on the list of items in the room. There's it's never mentioned anywhere. I found interesting is that dryer sheets are actually used to wipe down fingerprints. I was going to say that. Yeah. But police didn't but, have that listed anywhere. And pictures don't lie. Uh, No, literally you have two knives and between the knives is a dryer sheet. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So I just, I found that just like infuriating. There was a handwriting expert brought into trial as well. And he made the point that when someone writes on a surface, they usually like on a chalkboard or anything like that, Mm -hmm. they're usually going to do so at shoulder level. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Someone estimated around 5'11 wrote that message. Rebecca is 5'2". There's no way. And there wasn't... Why would she stand on something and write that message? Adam is 5'10". Oh. He did also look at writing samples between Rebecca and Adam. The writing on the wall kind of leans to the left. Mm -hmm. Rebecca's handwriting leans to the right. And Adam's Adam's leans to the left. left. Oh. Adam also has this stylistic like M, like he kind of makes it all fancy. Mm-hmm. And on the door, the same long leg on the M is seen. Now, this expert kind of got some criticism from the defense because they're like, you know, anybody could have written that note. And, and that's true. Like anybody could have written that note. Mm-hmm. But the handwriting expert is like, well, I just tested Rebecca and Adam. That's who's on trial here. I right. just tested it and Adam's matches up. The most. Now, if you're going to bring in Sally from three houses down, hers might match up more. But this is just, we're just testing these. What two. we're testing. Right. Yeah. The defense's point in this whole trial was that nothing pointed exactly at Adam. It's all circumstantial. They called Jonah to the stand. They even had Adam on the stand. <laughs> Adam claimed on the stand that even as a tugboat captain, he didn't ever really make knots. he had actually never really even seen knots like that before (laughs) and then jonah claims on the stand that he had never seen rebecca tie knots unless it was tying their boat up on the dock i'm sorry these knots are so concise and in the initial investigation when they're claiming this was a suicide the police have this lady you know, same statute as Rebecca, same build and everything, Mm -hmm. show that it is possible to tie these knots by and on yourself. Behind, with your hands behind your back? With your hands behind your back. And so this lady does show that it is possible. But I I wish I could show you guys the picture right (laughs) now. Um, In the reenactment, it's interesting because the end of the knot that actually like seals the knot is by... The lady's hands, which makes sense because you're pulling that mm-hmm, part mm-hmm. of the knot to tighten it and make it into an official knot. Mm-hmm. But Rebecca's, that part is on the top. Oh. If that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Where somebody again, tying the knots would have left it. Yes. I'm going to make note to, to find the pictures, the side by side of the reenactment and Rebecca's hands. I thought that was really interesting because even though she is showing that it is possible... They're not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the closing statement that Greer made in standing up for Rebecca was crazy. <laughs> he brings in this life-size, super realistic mannequin portraying Rebecca naked, tied up, and hanging, showing again how unrealistic it all seemed. Mm-hmm. 
The closing argument for Adam's side, there was no evidence that Adam had anything to do with it, period. Well, they didn't have anything to prove, so. The trial took six weeks. The jury deliberated for three and a half hours. And again, this is a civil trial. They don't need all the jury to agree to reach the decision. But in the end, when they were asked, did Adam Shacknai cause the death of Rebecca Zahau? Their response was yes. Oh. It was a step for the Zahau family, but that's it. Hopefully to get this case reopened, hopefully to close it as a suicide and reopen it as a homicide, the family and their attorney, Greer, held a press conference as soon as they got out of court saying as such. It's just a step in the fight for Rebecca to tell her story. Adam Shacknai had a press conference of his own saying, quote, I'm standing tall. I'm not worried about these posers. They got away with something once. They got lucky. Ooh. Unquote. So, yeah, I'm going to make fun of his job as a tugboat captain because he's a piece of poop. Oh, dude, you got away with it. The San Diego Sheriff's Department reviewed their investigation. I mean, okay, hold on. I have to back up because even if he didn't do this, th there's just been no sense of sympathy for her death, like which makes you. I don't know. It was his brother's girlfriend for two years. There was no like, oh, my God, she's dead. I, I don't know. Anyway, the San Diego Sheriff's Department reviewed their investigation after this court case. So they said, we're going to reopen it. Yeah. And in December 2018, eight months after the civil suit. And I will make mention that they all said that they were going to reopen it because it was an election year. Mm. So to get some votes, I'm mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. They... Still upheld their original findings that Rebecca Zahau died by suicide. No. The family has been in and out of court fighting their fight for Rebecca. From what I found most recently, their attorneys have discovered files and evidence and materials the police did not release to them. Gosh darn it. And it looks like from an article from March of this year, 2021, from an article I saw written in the Times of San Diego... The Zahau family will finally have their day in court. Yeah. Their hearing is set for October of this year. And hopefully this is a, just going to be another step. I mean, it's slow and steady, but I'm, I'm hoping that this will lead to another outcome for them, for Rebecca's truth to come out. What is this hearing for? Uh, because the police withheld information so from them. So is it kind of against the police then? or Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Basically, it's just saying you withheld evidence from us mm -hmm. so yeah that's um the story of rebecca zahau oh i uh, there you know there's there's so much more obviously this is another long episode sorry guys but there's so much more that was found in this case that i didn't cover there's some really great documentaries out there it's just really really interesting and i think it blows everybody's mind because it just doesn't make sense to anybody it doesn't i mean i'm not a police woman of course but it just doesn't make any sense. And I don't blame the Coronado police. They called in the big wigs right away. They knew that they couldn't handle this. It's right. You know, these other detectives and stuff, they deal with this killings and stuff in San Diego. I mean, it's not like they're. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know this if it's because sense. Jonah is who he is. He's some billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I just and... was thinking. This girl was found hung. Okay, fine. She killed herself. And he's already gone through so much with his son just now dying. And here's the motive. She feels grief stricken because 
the son died on her watch and you know they found these notes she was making in her phone basically to sum it up the notes were saying things like I don't really live my life I'm dependent on Jonah I you know I'm not very happy but I put a smile on my face and so she wasn't in a very happy place I think because she was realizing she didn't have her own thing anymore she was very dependent on Jonah and but again I don't know if that's a motive to kill yourself Mm -hmm. and okay so say you are depressed say you are guilt-ridden by Max's injuries and potential death you find you get this voicemail saying that basically this this little boy that you've really you know fallen for is gonna die and it's on your watch so you want to commit suicide okay well why go through all of this all that like weird let me tie my hands and my legs and I didn't mention there was duct tape residue found on her calves oh good grief but Come nobody even mentioned on. that in anything and I think that was part of the evidence that the family was like uh nobody mentioned that to us there was like blood which again is probably menstrual blood that was in the shower that they found. It was also like kind of in the hallway leading to the guest bedroom and then on the guest bedroom floor. Mm-hmm. But again, if she's going to commit suicide, I guess if you're in that state of depression, you're not caring about that. But <sighs> I, you're just in the shower and then all of a sudden you decide I'm just going to go across the hall to the guest bath, you know, to the guest, yeah. go cut some rope in the garage downstairs, go oh, over yeah. to the I guest have to room do, and then jump off the balcony. I have to do that balcony. still. Am I going to go downstairs with my brother, well, future brother-in-law hanging out? Am I going to go to the garage naked and get this rope? And it yeah, just and doesn't Oh, make... let me grab two knives just in case. And let me go stuff this blue shirt in my mouth and... It doesn't. I don't know. It's just so crazy to no, me. No, it doesn't make any sense. Do you know what? I mean, women are less likely to shoot themselves to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Women are more likely to take pills. Yep. And yeah, that's what, what I found are the too. what are the statistics with women hanging themselves? Which it doesn't look like she was hung, but hanging themselves. I I can't be accurate on that. Um, but it's not, I, it's not super common, though, is it? I think it would be one of the more women. I don't I honestly I can't I don't want to say one way or the other because I do hear a lot of stories of women hanging themselves but hanging themselves in the nude tied up tied up gagged and gagged. Nope. 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 Even if she was just found naked hanging is even just enough to scratch your head. No. No. So like I said, I'll post pictures of the recreation. I'll even post links to the lady that like is showing the recreation. Um, it's just a, whew, it's just one of those cases that really, really sticks with you, I think. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. I literally, for real, have to take a drink of this. <laughs> Cheers, mom. You literally, for real, are going to pour yourself a third glass. <laughs> well, you can lighten things up, right, mom? Not really, but okay. Oh my gosh. I probably could have lightened things up had I stayed at Corbell Cellars, but um which I would have really enjoyed staying there. <clears throat> but I'm going to take you about 113 miles due east from the dancing Bettina in the fields of <laughs> yes. Corbell, in the vineyards of Corbell. Ion, California. From there, I'd like to tell you about Preston Castle. Familiar with that at all? 
You probably Why do I feel like I know about Preston Castle? You probably do. It was built in 1890 and sits on 230 acres of land. The building was never built to be a castle, but rather the Preston School of Industry, a boys' reformatory. It is considered to be one of the oldest reform schools in the nation. It was once referred to as, quote, the castle because, well, it looks just like a castle. (laughs) (laughs) So clever they are. The school was active from 1894 to 1960. The boys that had earlier been sent to Folsom and San Quentin State prisons to serve their sentences right along with adult males were then given a chance of learning a trade and becoming productive members of society. I just can't. I, I just. I mean, these boys, some as young as 10 years old. Are placed in prisons with men. Yes. And San Quentin, we've all all heard of San Quentin and how horrible things, you know, were and San, oh and maybe are gosh. in San Quentin. I mean, we're talking hardened criminals. And these are just kids. Anyway, thank goodness that was changed. But the boys, you know, so somewhere as a young, very few of them, but somewhere as young as 10 years old and as old as 22. They would spend their mornings in the classroom. Then the afternoons, they were they learned different trades. The boys grew vegetables and fruits, cared for livestock, made their own shoes and clothes. They learned skills wow. in welding and agriculture. There was even a slaughterhouse where the boys slaughtered pigs. Now, I don't know how great a reform that, that would be. <laughs> reform anybody. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean... You're going to put this troubled boy in front of a pig and give him a knife. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, oh I'm just God. saying, you know, I that's my personal opinion. Um, as you can tell, the school, for the most part, was self-sufficient. I mean, they Sounds like made it. everything, they grew everything, and the boys did this. Of course, life at the, quote, castle was not idyllic. The boys had been convicted of a variety of crimes from petty thefts to assault, to murder, but they were all in the process of being rehabilitated. By killing pigs. Yeah. There's the very sad story, this one just broke my heart, of Willie Banning, a little 10-year-old boy who was sentenced to Preston for the very horrible, terrible crime of stealing flowers from the garden of a Miss Hurd in Sacramento. Oh my gosh and he's put in this place with probably yeah. some really bad things yeah ha- he's 10 years uh, old oh oh my heart yeah that just oh that infuriated me unfortunately some boys didn't have anywhere else to go and were sent to the school too so some boys were orphans they didn't even do anything they were orphans oh, and had geez the state had no place to put them so they were also sent to this reformatory student mistreatment and abuse were common And the living conditions were very, very poor. I mean, just awful. There was something in one of the sources that I read that for punishment, they were locked in this little room that was just 
filthy because they didn't have a commode or toilet or anything. So they had to go on the floor. They were just given like bread and water to eat. I mean, it was in filthy conditions. No place to, there was no bed or anything. So they had to lie on the floor where they had just gone to the restroom. I mean, just, yeah. Mom, you are not cheering us up at all. I'm so sorry. I know. I told you. You're. We are <laughs> totally pulling an Aiden and we're going smoothly down. <laughs> Oh, given those conditions and the school running for almost seven decades. Wow. I know. There were, of course, several hundred attempts to escape. These were dealt with very severely, violently, and inhumanely. Samuel Goines was a prime example of this scenario. He was 20 years old and was convicted of burglary. In the first year he was at school, he tried to escape three times. On his third escape attempt, he was shot in the back. <gasps> he died two months short of his release date. Oh, shoot. Samuel is buried in the Preston Cemetery along with 16 other students who died at the school. I read in other resources that there were 23 buried there, so a little different number. Many of the boys died from illness, tuberculosis, yellow fever, and the flu. Some died from drug overdoses or suicide. Mm. Maybe some died as a result of the school performing surgeries on site. What? So if there was like an appendicitis attack or something, they would do the surgeries there on site. Did they have no. doctors and proper physicians and everything? Or no, they just... They had doctors, but I bet they were just that, doctors. They weren't surgeons. Yikes. As I said earlier, most of the boys at the school were not sentenced there for stealing flowers, okay? They were mostly violent criminals. Members of gangs served time at the castle, so you had racial tension. Guys that age are usually high on testosterone anyway, so you've got, you know, you've got high testosterone, you've got boys that are slaughtering pigs, you've got, I mean, you've just, you've got a lot of... A lot of, uh, I don't know, pent up just emotions. High, you know. Oh, I can't even imagine. A lot. So there was a lot of violence at this place. Several teachers were attacked, some fatally. On February 23rd, 1950, as housekeepers, cooks, and staff were preparing for their day, head housekeeper Anna Corbin, who by all accounts was very well liked, was found beaten to death in the school's basement. Her body had been stuffed into the back of a closet by the kitchen. Mm. She had a thin rope tied around her neck, and her face and head were so bludgeoned that the woman was not recognizable. Many were suspected of the crime, but one student really stood out, Eugene Monroe. He became the prime suspect and was accused of the crime. Now get this. He was tried for the crime three times. What? And every time... It he ended with a hung jury. Like there was a hung jury. So they tried him again. Another hung jury. Oh tried him again. Gosh. Another hung jury. The judge finally dismissed the case. Because it just wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> Anna Corbin's killer has never been found. Or maybe he was found. But has never been accused. And just a side note here. Eugene was not an angel. He did not steal the flowers. A few months after he was released from prison, he did rape and kill a woman in Oklahoma. Mm. So, yeah. Another teacher that was killed was the agriculture teacher. 
1965. He was killed in the barn as he was leaning over to show two boys how to fix something on a tractor. His skull was bashed in by the boys with a lead pipe. So you're getting the gist of the anger, I'm imagining, that just permeated the school. Jeez. Smoothly down. (laughs) So no wonder that residual energy is in and around the castle. Makes sense, huh? Yeah. Now the school was closed in 1960 and has since been named a California Historical Landmark. The building sat neglected and in terrible state of disrepair until 2001 when the Preston Castle Foundation was formed. But you can imagine how much money and work needs to go into restoring this five-story, 77-room building. Oh, I can only imagine. And I can't believe it was probably maintained very well, even as it was being lived in by all these boys and stuff. That's the last thing on their minds. So, geez. Yeah. But now it must be somewhat restored because since 2015, Paracon, which is a paranormal conference, has been held at Preston Castle. And at the conference, experts present paranormal information and data, as well as experiences with those in attendance. There are also several vendors that sell metaphysical items. Attendees will also find psychic readers and mediums readily available. Well, that brings a whole other bit of does it, like exactly. energy to a place, too. Energy, right. So, of course, you know who I have to bring in here? Uh, yes. Ghost Adventures did go to Preston (laughs) Castle, but this was early on. This was season two, episode one, and it was Zach, Aaron, and Nick. Okay. Yeah, it was really early. It was kind of fun, though, to see, to watch the episode because the guys have changed tremendously. I mean, first of all, Nick's not even on there anymore. He left Ghost Adventures in 2014. Aaron is now slim and trim. I mean... In earlier, if you remember in earlier, he was a tub boat. Yeah, he was. He was he was tubby. I think Zach I mean, has I, probably changed the most because he was like, I mean, he was buff, but not as buff. He was really skinny and he had his hair just sticking up like straight on end with all that gel. It did. But he also had these funky bangs. Yes, that's right. Do you remember that? He had oh, these weird styles bangs hanging changed. in his face. I mean, he has definitely gotten a lot better looking. So, mom, I'm not. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that was bad. (laughs) That hairdo. Somebody should have told him. But anyway, but I do have to say that they seemed a little bit more serious. Well, they weren't as famous. They took, yeah, you know. Moving on to the episode, there were quite a few things that happened. The crew were told in advance of their lockdown that disembodied voices were not uncommon in the castle, and the lockdown did not disappoint in this. As the guys were in the infirmary, Zach asked, did you die from a disease? And you can clearly, distinctly hear the answer, I don't know. Oh, wow. There were what sounded like women's screams, but may have, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't put much credence in that because it could have been an animal. I mean, there's holes in the roof and there's, you know, whatever. But (laughs) that's doubting Bettina for you. (laughs) Two people who had investigated the castle previously had reported to Zach that they had been scratched and they had pictures of it. Oh, wow. Sure enough, as the three were in a hallway 
Aaron suddenly starts complaining that his calf is burning. When Zach looked at it, sure enough, there were two scratch marks that actually looked like burn marks. Ooh. So they were running down his calf and they looked more like burn marks than they did scratch marks. How weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Of course, I have to throw in some comedy here. because. So I think Zach got kind of tired of Aaron moaning about his calf burning <laughs> because you hear Aaron going, dude, it hurts. It's really burning. And Zach responds, yeah, I know. <laughs> Which is super ironic because now it's Zach constantly complaining about something. <laughs> but then he looks at Aaron's calf again. And this time there's da -da -da -da, three. three scratches. Oh, oh no, no. Marks of the devil. <laughs> Mocking the Trinity. So another very cool sound that was picked up was from the kitchen area. It was the distinct sound of something frying or sizzling <gasps> in a pan oh wow that's really cool yeah it was it sounded like bacon in a pan that's really cool bacon you and your slaughtered pigs <laughs> i'm going for bacon yeah okay so the strangest thing that happened in the show was zach <laughs> <laughs> the end <laughs> oh no he really goes weird. Anyway, the guys were in the basement looking at where the body of Anna was found. All of a sudden, Zach completely changes. He's very emotional, and you can even see his breath when he speaks, which is weird. Because the creepy. other guys, you couldn't see, but he turned sideways, and you could see, you know, like if it was really super cold out, you could see his breath. That was weird. And the other guys didn't have that. It's like something or someone jumped inside of him. I mean, it was just weird. As Nick and Aaron are looking at something, Zach just wanders off. Now, you have to know something here. It is pitch dark, right? Right. When they do these lockdowns. Right. It is pitch dark in the building. He has no light because he's just wandering off by himself. He has no camera. He has nothing with him. And so he's just wandering in the dark here. Now, remember, he's in a building where it, a lot of it is structurally unsafe. And he doesn't really know where he's going. And he's just wandering. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's creepy. Nope. He has no night vision goggles on. Okay. So it's just pitch dark. Nick and Aaron finally find him sitting on a chair in the middle of what had been Anna's room. So weird. Just sitting there totally relaxed with his legs stretched out in front of him and crossed and he's Wait, just his like, legs stressed his legs stretched out in front of him and crossed yeah the ankles are crossed. oh okay <laughs> I was like, oh, okay so okay. he's like totally totally chill in this room pitch dark okay Aaron asked several times if he's all right Zach would answer with a smile on his face Ew. and say he was very well and it's just this Weird, I'm doing it now, but it's just this really weird, like the just the corners of his lips would just turn up slightly. A weird smirk. Ew. And he's just sitting there relaxing. He goes, I'm fine. I'm fine. Even his voice like was different than Zach, you know? That's weird. Aaron says to him, you seem different. And Zach responds, you seem different. <laughs> well, that seems like Zach. <laughs> But it was in this little, like, almost, I don't want to say it was a female voice because that's really exaggerating. 
but it was, it was more feminine than Zach. Yes, yes, and he was kind of doing feminine, more feminine gestures, gestures kinda, yeah, and okay, stuff. Weird. It was just strange. I like vaguely um, remember this episode. I think. Yeah. Then when it's suggested that they continue the investigation, Zach says that they shouldn't leave. Like, don't leave this room. That it's it's safe here, and we'll get hurt if we go downstairs. Is what he said. Ooh. Now, when have you ever, I mean, even now, when they're scared of something, you still see them investigating. But he would not leave that room. And hmm. it's like, uh-uh, we're, we're safe here. Don't go downstairs. You'll get hurt. Ooh, that's weird. Out of the blue. <laughs> this is so weird. Out of the blue, Zach just starts giggling. <laughs> I mean, just this. That's the only way I can describe it is just a giggle. And he refuses, like I said, to walk past the threshold of the door to the bedroom. And at one point, Zach turns his head to the room and says, because he, by now he's standing at the threshold. And he turns into the room and he says, what? Then he turns and says, I think she's talking to me. It's just so weird. When he finally is talked out of the room, he's seen walking down a hallway and <laughs> ahead of Aaron let me rephrase that. He's not walking so much as sashaying. <laughs> what is this happening? Then he starts singing this happy little tune. And he's like dancing down the hallway what? singing this little tune. What is happening? It is so weird. The next day, away from the castle, Zach does admit that he thinks he was possessed by Anna. You think? And <laughs> <laughs> maybe or else he was really doing some showmanship because that was so weird so weird okay now just a few trivial facts about preston castle there were some wards that resided at the school whose names may be recognizable meryl haggard have you heard of that like hagrid from harry potter <laughs> what no <laughs> Merle Haggard is a country western singer, <laughs> songwriter, guitarist, and fiddler. <laughs> Has nothing to do with Harry no Potter. dragons. Got it. <laughs> Eddie Bunker, he wrote crime fiction, was a screenwriter and an actor. And of course, there are many others, but I thought you may have heard of those two. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Harry Potter. Sorry okay. to let you down. <laughs> You mean Haggard? <laughs> <laughs> there were two movies set at the castle. The 2014 movie, A Haunting at Preston Castle. Oh, another clever name. And the 2019 movie, Apparition. I don't know if you've heard of any of those. So That and Altergeist are movies I obviously need to add to my list of... You usually are really good with movies. Not but with horror movies. Be... I don't like... I could talk true crime and paranormal stuff all day, but I am not a horror movie gal. Scary movies are not. You have seen some of those more than I have. I used to watch them, but that was when we had Friday the 13th and that kind of stuff. <laughs> not the stuff we have today. Uh-uh. Okay, so I'm going to end with Zach's words on the Preston Ghost Adventures episode. He says, two words sum up their experience. Unfinished business. Boy. <laughs> As he sashays out of the room. <laughs> but I think that may be the general feeling surrounding Preston Castle. I think there's a lot of unfinished business at that place. Oh, I'm sure. That's crazy. 
<laughs> anyway, I know. I always have to throw in my ghost adventures. Now I can just picture you dancing in the vineyard and Zach sashaying through a haunted house. And <laughs> we just went smoothly up. <laughs> Boy, I wonder what you're going to title this episode, Beth. <laughs> Patina dancing in a vineyard. I think that's just how it should be titled totally. Patina frolicking in a vineyard. <laughs> frolicking. Yeah. That's even better. <laughs> With my bottle of Corbel. Bottles. Well, they're stag staggered, you know. <laughs> oh, Alrighty. Oh, boy. Well, another interesting episode, Mom. Yes, it was. It was very interesting. So uh, when we cheers, I'm just going to take my glass and cheers the bottle because I'm <laughs> drinking by myself. <laughs> well, next week we will be covering. <gasps> it's our 70th, 70th. So we're going to go out of the United States. Yes. And we will be covering stories from Germany. Deutschland. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jawohl. Just uh, be prepared. I will not be able to pronounce half of my story. Aber ich will. I will. <laughs> I'm going to have so much fun speaking German. Okay. I think you're having so much fun drinking by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you can find pictures from this episode and all of our resources from this episode on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. Join us on Patreon. We, re we released an extra episode last week. If you haven't joined Patreon already, you or you have about a week to do so if you want the free goodie. If you join by June 1st, you will get a free goodie. New patrons, remember to send us your addresses. Yes, please. $5 a month, and it's just very helpful for us. So we appreciate it. And helpful it. for you, too, because you get the episodes early. Helpful and for you, you because ones. you get to listen to us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> helpful for mom so she can keep up her Corbell habit. Um, <laughs> yeah, so next week, Germany. Virtual cheers, mama. Cheers. I love you, kid. <laughs>